I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio in Cork. And I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie. How are you, Murray? I'm very excited. We're three weeks into Restart Rugby and we've got semi-final team news and semi-final previews to do. So these are exciting times. How are you? I am in the same boat, yeah. There's a pep in my step. Uh, the team news has gotten me going. Uh, we'll chat about all of that later on. And we've got a lot of Champions Cup format stuff to talk about as well. We're not going to spend so long on that because I know it might be unbearable for a lot of people. We're going to just try and make sense of it in a few minutes before getting stuck into those semi-final previews. And we're joined as always to do so by Bernard Jackman. Birch, how are things on your end? Excellent, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to the weekend. Um, some, some good, interesting clashes ahead. There certainly are. There certainly are. So the Champions Cup uh, will get a, a temporary makeover, Murray from december onwards next season and uh the number of games have been reduced understandably uh, one might argue given the condensed season that players and coaches will be facing into but uh, this new format i suppose raised a good few eyebrows let's be honest uh just in the in the sense that on paper it feels quite convoluted i think it took a long time for people to get their heads around it and for starters as well i was going to ask you to actually give a brief overview or rundown of it because i think a lot of people i think a lot of listeners genuinely people busy during the week or whatever might have taken one look at it and gone nah i might figure this out in december but not now so maybe you can do them the, the service of summarizing it for before please. murray gets stuck into that there's a bit of business jargon that's all the rage at the moment simplicity is the ultimate sophistication well <laughs> erc erc are are, are are certainly aren't following that uh now murray away you go yeah this is the, this is gonna be the hardest job i've done for a, for a long time like the reaction has been sheer bafflement some really good gifts and memes going around um about this but let, let me try and do my best so the, the, this is all off the back of COVID-19 the 2019-20 season has extended on so they had to co- try and condense things so they've gone from nine match weekends to eight match weekends in the 2020-21 Champions Cup season it's going to start in December um, and then roll on into the, the rest of the season so now we have two pools of 12 teams each club is going to be seeded into one of four tiers so you'll have tier one teams tier two teams tier three teams tier four depending on your performance in your league the Pro 14 the Top 14 or the Premiership Everyone's going to have four pool games each, so so not six anymore. You have four pool games each. You'll play home and away against teams from a different tier. So the tier one teams will play home and away against two of the tier four teams, and the tier two teams will play home and away against two of the tier three teams. You can't play against someone who's in the same league as you. So those matches will be against a team from another tier in another league. You'll get four pool games. So from there... The top four in each of the the pools, so there's two pools, the top four teams going to home and away, top eight rather, going to top four from each pool, so eight teams going to home and away quarterfinals. So that's obviously a new change. It was obviously one-off games and quarterfinals before. Now you've got an aggregate score over those quarterfinal games, home and away, and then into one-off semifinals, into a final, which is one-off game as well, in May 2021 in Marseille. So that's the kind of basic outline of it. Four pool games for everyone um, against teams from other nations other leagues and then if you're in the top four of of your 
pool so that's four from each you go into those quarterfinals so yeah it is a bit trickier to get the head around and even the the tiering is it has caused some confusion as we've seen even with the pro 14 themselves who initially said connects were going to be tier four and then last night clarified they're going to be tier three so it's not just us media and supporters who are getting our heads around this but in essence one less match weekend up from 20 teams to 24 team competition in in those two pools um but everyone's going to get four pool games at least um and yeah there's there's confusion but i think there's a couple of exciting bits to this as well you're going to get really thrilling uh final round of the pool games obviously they're going to be so many permutations depending on how things work out then those home and away quarterfinals are going to be interesting as well like it's a completely new dynamic and and completely changes everything so there's bits to look forward to there, but um, yeah, definitely some confusion yesterday. I, I think when it plays out, it is going to be exciting. I know those of us who did pass maths will struggle greatly when it comes to those final pool games. The permutations, as you say, are going to be off the charts. I also would question question the, uh, I, I guess, the motive behind attempting to reduce the number of match weekends, naturally, given the circumstances, but adding a second leg to quarterfinals, which you then don't do for semi-finals for some reason. Um, uh, I think maybe they could have just kept it to, to one-off quarterfinals, although I know that's not really a, a question for yourself. Bernard, your, your impressions of it? I know we were chatting in, in our kind of three-man WhatsApp group last night. There have been people uh, raising their concerns. We'll get, get to Rob Baxter in a moment, but just your overall sense of it to begin with. Uh, look, at uh, I think it's too complicated, to be honest. Uh, I agree with you. I don't see the value of or the the reason why you would would have a home and away quarterfinal not that i'm against home and away quarterfinals but just you know it's throwing in an extra uh, an extra game and they're trying to cut out games um obviously the fact that tier one only played tier four um you know shows that uh you know your, your seeding is is really important um i don't mind the fact that you don't play teams you play in your in your domestic league um in the, in the group stages that's you know that that's that's not an issue, uh, but Toulouse and Montpellier at the moment are down as as tier four. So, um, <laughs> whatever about Montpellier, you know we don't know what their interest levels in Europe will be like. Um, obviously, you know a new DOR going in there, uh, Philippe Saint Andre, uh, who has, in fairness, always, I suppose, uh, targeted targeted Europe. So that's a positive. Uh, but certainly Toulouse, Toulouse will stay in tier four if I'm correct, unless they win the Champions Cup this year. So, I mean, they're a nightmare draw for, for somebody um, uh, to play them home and away if you're a Tier 1 country, or Tier 1 um, seed. So, yeah, I just think it's complicated. And looking at, look at, I know we're in COVID and things need to change, but I suppose the the biggest competition that I, that I loved was the European Cup from a rugby point of view, from a club point of view. Um, I think that's lost its... It's appeal to fans. Um, unfortunately, over the last four or five years, um, it's still a great competition, but it has lost its appeal. And um, and I don't see this structure as as being the you know the answer to to getting it back. And maybe it's only a short term thing. And, and but like I would love to see a um, a competition structure that you know was was easy to understand and got us back to the glory days of European rugby. Um, and then secondly, I suppose, uh, you know, from a, a domestic competition, you know, it's now September, uh, first week of September, the Pro 14, or sorry, the, the, the Guinness Celtic League is due to start, I think, October the 3rd. You know, and we don't have any idea what, what that structure looks like. So, you know, probably our, well, from an Irish point of view, the two competitions that our clubs and provinces can win or enter in, um, it's just very complicated and, 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 
there's a lack of clarity around what's happening. I mean, what are the you know obviously we know the Cheetahs and Kings aren't going to be involved this year, but there's a strong rumor that the the big four, the Sharks, the Bulls, the Lions, um, and the Stormers may come in in January. You know, um, so we go back to a Pro 16, but up till then it could be a Pro 12. So we'll have October, November, December, Pro 12, and then we become a Pro 16 for the second half of the season, which is, you know, I, I look at I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I, I don't know any league that's ran in a season with uh, four new entries coming in halfway through, um, and how that, uh, yeah, I just don't know how it's going to work, and uh, <laughs> um, it just seems unbe- unbelievably complicated. In fairness to the, to the organisers, yeah, it's. It's a difficult time, and you know there's there's outside forces that have caused this um, this lack of uh, lack of clarity or, or difficulty in making a league. But I just hope that post twenty twenty one, you know, we get a European Cup that um, I suppose is easy to follow. That all the teams are are interested in winning, and um, you know we get back. Uh, get we get back to the levels it was at, and then obviously from a, a domestic competition, you know that we have a, a league structure that gets more competitive, and um, you know the, just something that's really valuable in its own right as a as a, as a competition to win, um, and that's no disrespect to to it at the moment. It is a slight disrespect to it at the moment, but I think it's fair. I I, I just think um, it needs it needs to be established properly, and if I've nothing against those four teams coming in. Obviously, they're a far bigger draw than the Cheetahs and the Kings were, um, and maybe a way of keeping the best Springboks in South Africa, etc. Um, so I'm not I'm not knocking that. I'm just knocking the lack of, of of foresight or understanding from a fan point of view around what a competition that's starting in a month's time looks like. Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. I think it, it, as you say, the disrespect or criticism of it is justified and. Like, I've maintained for a long time any competition in which your marquee fixtures sees at least one of the teams involved not field a, a full-strength team, i.e. the Interpros, which are the best fixtures in the Pro 14, I think, even objectively speaking, is the sign of a competition that isn't really all that healthy. Uh, and we can get into the Pro 12 slash 14 slash 16 in a moment, but Murray, just to focus on Europe for, for a second as well and try to contextualize this. It's something we have spoken about in the podcast in the past. And I feel as though maybe people, it, it might get people's backs up in Ireland because by extension of the fact that the provinces remain incredibly invested in European competition, well, really in the Champions Cup, uh, I think fans here still absolutely love it. And possibly some of them are a little bit blind or a little bit deaf, whether willfully or not to the fact that in France and in England it doesn't quite inst- um, inspire the same passion in people as it used to. And Rob Baxter, uh, head coach of, of the Chiefs, is a guy who actually does take the comp- competition seriously. The Chiefs have been going full guns in it for a while now, but he's pointed out a, a couple of very obvious flaws with an albeit temporary uh, structure change this year. But I wonder, could this sound uh, the death knell, if you like, for the competition from the perspective of Premiership clubs? Just to read a couple of Baxter's quotes here, he said, I don't think the format is the biggest issue. This isn't a slide on anybody, but the way it drops in there immediately post-international blocks is tough. So he's talking about the fact that uh, the European fixtures will come in on the back of basically six international fixtures, and he's got to ha- he's going to have to squeeze in two weekends of rest for his England internationals between 
I guess sometime around those weeks, basically in the winter. Um, he says it's tough to see it as an absolute frontline competition for English Premiership clubs as you're going to get your players back from the block of internationals. And if they're going to play the next weekend, it's your first European game. Somewhere between coming back from the autumn or the early winter internationals, you've got to fit two rest weekends in for England players. Four of the fixtures are European and three are Premiership. And you get the impression that for a lot of the English clubs, the fixtures that you might sacrifice there would be European fixtures and not the Premiership fixtures. Yeah, that's not great to hear, is it? It's it's discouraging, certainly, but it's very realistic from a guy who is always exactly that, Rob Baxter. He's straight up, upfront and honest, and clearly already he's thinking ahead to how his international players are going to return from that extended international window um, and try to go, what, maybe four or five, six days later into a, a huge, what would have been a huge generally um start to the european season so that's not good to hear and and as you say like we've discussed we i think we spent a, a bit of time on before the before the break in rugby about how premiership and top 14 clubs with the history of their championships the importance of their of their leagues to them and to their supporters um have probably tended to focus more on that i think it's been great to see someone like exeter improving over the last couple of years and certainly this season they've been really impressed with the champions cup and that's what you want to see in terms of having another genuine contender every single year but if that's their thinking then it's a little bit worrying um and this whole season this whole champions cup season is going to feel very much temporary that's what it is it's a one-off they say they're going to go back to their 20 team structure we should mention that it's gone to 2014s because partly there was a lot of agitation from the french clubs who cancelled their 2019-20 season with as Bernard mentioned, Toulouse are down there as a, a tier four side. They were well down the league, as were Montpellier. So, I mean, the, uh, t- like not having a Champions Cup with Toulouse in there, given that they probably would have finished out 2019-20 strongly, it would have been crazy. So it's very much a case of EBCR, I suppose, yielding to the demands of the, of the people that make up this competition. And I know you mentioned there about why not play just a quarter final instead of two games, but they're doing their best to hold their line as well. They've They've given away one match weekend but you take away two and you just invite that I suppose downward spiral that little bit more you almost invite the perception that it's not as important a competition so they're all things that that have to be weighed up and and I think Baxter is spot on there you're seeing now the already you're kind of seeing down the line and and this this um intention to finish out 2019-20 in in the premiership in in pro 14 etc in the champions cup is going to do a bit more damage down the line. It's great having the rugby back now, but everything's going to start piling up, particularly with the number of big games we have. And already you're seeing, obviously, in the Premiership, it's a challenge for clubs even trying to have strong enough teams to, to play some of those fixtures. The scorelines have been very disappointing in, in a couple of the games, really badly matched. So, yeah, there are all sorts of challenges to this. At the same time, we can we can just bag it and, and say, oh, they could have done this better. But like, I'd almost give EBSOR some credit for for trying to make sure that this is going to work next season. Yeah, it's not ideal. Nothing's going to be ideal. We don't know things could be even postponed or cancelled. You're seeing that in the top 14. One of their games that was supposed to be played tomorrow night has been put off because of the Stade Francais situation. That's that's postponed. So, yeah, we can we can complain and, and moan about how the format has, has figured out in this way, but it wasn't an easy task. I don't know how they... <laughs> I don't know who it was who came up with this, and it's pretty lateral thinking, certainly. Um, I'm almost impressed, but... 
at least we have a Champions Cup and um, yeah I do share your concerns though and I, sh- I would share Rob Baxter's concerns as well yeah I, like it, it's difficult you don't want to come across as sounding too harsh about it and it might sound as though we're immediately trying to pick holes in it rather than see the positives albeit you did point out a couple of things to be excited for but I suppose it's just looking at the overall health of the competition and potential ramifications really for maybe the way it's perceived and, and certainly the way it plays out when you consider those problems facing premiership clubs as you say I'm sure an enormous amount of work went into creating this temporary format. I don't know how you get to two pools of 12 with four matches rather than eight pools of three. Um, but <laughs> again, maybe not a, a question for you folks. Um, Murray, just to touch upon what Bernard was saying there in relation to the Celtic Italian League, and we don't really know uh, how many teams it's going to be composed of uh, over the coming months and year. Um what is, what is your understanding of it, I suppose? I've literally just said we don't know how it's going to be, how many teams are going to make it up, but uh, what do you expect to happen or, or do you even have any expectations as to what's going to happen over the next season? Yeah, I, so? At the moment, we don't have any clarity and I think that's the frustration for, certainly for some of the Irish provinces, for the regions, the Scottish clubs. There is no real clarity on what's going ahead. Yes, we have to all be adaptable in a COVID-19 world. That's the way things are, but... I think there's a, I think there's a frustration in some of the clubs that it's almost being made up as it goes along. Obviously, the the Kings and Cheetahs came in at very latest notice, very late notice when they came in. It was almost out of the blue and and adds a totally different element to it with the with the travel. Um, and as Bernard's outlined really well there, you know how can a a Pro Twelve become a Pro Fourteen or a Pro Sixteen halfway through a campaign when these teams have already been investing so much energy and and competitiveness into it that that's frustrating for clubs who are trying to plan ahead listen again there there really are there really are potential benefits if the bull stormers lions and sharks come in there's four big clubs with some really high quality players and a lot of profile that would certainly add to the pro 14 in that sense you think of something like the stormers v monster you've Omani versus Khaleesi, Carberry versus Willemse, Sharks Leinster, you have Gary Ringrose against Lucan Yoam, really nice matchups like that. But it's just a matter of how you actually get a meaningful competition created with all these um these nations, particularly with South Africa being so far away. And um there's talk that they'd play in a Curry Cup competition and their derbies between each other would count towards a Pro 14. So they're playing in a different competition potentially uh, and racking up points for the Pro 14. It it just it's just again you're talking about confusion it just doesn't feel um it doesn't feel like it makes perfect sense um and again like to go back to top 14 premiership the reason they're so loved and followed bernard knows better than anyone the top 14 is that is that history the rivalries the sense that you know you you know what's coming and you know what trips are going to be a nightmare the myths the stories all that stuff getting the boucle de brennis the the plate you win for for winning it and um, and all the history that goes along with that trophy. It just feels like the pro competition, Celtic League, whatever you want to call it, just needs to really find its identity um, uh, and and try start moving towards that. Listen, there, there are commercial benefits as well, I suppose, in having stronger clubs like Sharks and Stormers and, and those Springbok players involved in the competition. But I think there just needs to be a really clear decision-making process here that the constituent clubs who are currently in the Pro 14 or Pro 12 um, can really cling on to and, and get an understanding of, of where this is going to go in the future. Bernard, like, can those sort of... Um, uh, like, can you foster those types of rivalries in a competition where it's not really 
uh, incumbent on teams to field full strength teams. I know, like obviously, team selection is always going to be down to uh, a coach's decision, coach's discretion. Clearly, and obviously, squads need to rotate and such. But I, I'm just thinking of the interpros. Maybe I'm fixated on this too much. But a monster Leinster game where one team is essentially feeling an experimental team as much as it still means something to the fans I, I don't think it's quite the same as if you have a full-blooded 23 on 23 if you know what I mean and like I I, it's difficult for me to imagine real rivalries new rivalries being generated in a, in a league where that type of um <laughs> it's not behavior like but where I understand and, and I think uh, the problem is, it's the lack of competitiveness. So, um, I think it was two years ago, start of the season, um, the Irish provinces put out really weak, sorry, uh, really young, um, inexperienced teams against some of the Welsh regions, and there was absolute war in in Wales, um, in the media and, and amongst the fans, how this was disrespectful. And then they came over and hammered um the the welsh regions um away from home and that that killed it then because you know um if it had to be the other way around and and the welsh teams um had have hammered the, the understrand irish teams you know fair enough but leinster and, and munster were able to go go over away from home with a with a second string selection and, and win easily so that's the problem is i think um if you've got more competition uh so if the stormers and the bulls and and, and the the other two south african teams are able to come come to Europe um, and and win games regularly, um, and are actual. If you if the four of them are potential title challengers, that makes the league better straight away. That's we're not going to get the rivalry of of Bath against Bristol or um, in in this league. That's just the reality of it. Um, and also that will then knock have a knock on effect on on those provincial games that they have been. They, you know, certain teams have have rotated and because they could afford to. To, to lose they could afford to lose the points because they already had a, a big enough buffer or they knew that they'd pick up points later on in the season so qualification for the knockout stages um hasn't been in doubt and i think the only way to to control to control that is is by you know adding better teams or finding ways of increasing revenue so at the moment the, the you know there's a massive divide in in the in the pro 14 in terms of Finance, you know, and that's that's driving uh, squad depth, and um, that's driving lack of competitiveness. So, you know, Treviso have more, or Benetton have more money than Zebra. Um, you know, Cheetahs have more money than Kings. Um, you know, Leinster have more money than than everybody else, uh, and that's and that's it, and significantly more. Whereas you look at a Gallagher Premiership, you know, there's there's probably the average difference is, is far less. I mean, most clubs are knocking around the salary cap. Um, there, thereabouts in the top fourteen, you know, there's a minimum spend, um, and you know the teams who are, who are down the bottom of that, they rotate, you know, and they take their medicine when they go away from home, and they they, they play to stay up, and they fight like um uh, like dogs to stay up because um you know that's that's their goal for the season, and then and because of that, they are a challenge, you know, so at, at Toulouse going to a Grenoble or or an Oina or whoever. Um, in the day, they know it's going to be difficult because um, that team are, are are fighting for their life, and they'll put out their first team for that game, and it becomes a challenge around that. But unfortunately, in, in our competition, there's no relegation, um, so effectively at the bottom end of the table, um, there's no real incentive to 
to spend, to invest, um, and you know, to fight with that same vigor. And that, that again, drives that lack of competitiveness. Now, look, at, there's some really good rugby played, um, and, and the top six teams in, in, our, in, our, in the Pro 14 can go toe-to-toe with anyone in France or, or England. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying on a, on a week-to-week basis, I think we're not going to get that you know, 80 years or 100 years of rivalry that the French and English have. Um, but what will improve the standard and is, is competition. And, you know, uh, as I said, those four teams, if they keep their current funding and, and are able to keep their, their star players, which you would imagine they will, I mean, they should have, I would imagine, commercially a pro uh, being involved in Europe with less travel costs, um, with uh, currency exchange, etc., will will be better for them um, and will maybe help them have their best players and that would be good for us, uh, us. And then, obviously, the other thing is is to get money into the Welsh regions. Um, and the first of the Scots, you know, they invest well in in Edinburgh and Glasgow, and I think they're they're very competitive. Obviously, Edinburgh are, are more than competitive at the moment. Um, and yeah, that, that's that's the only answer. But this league has got a huge there's a huge discrepancy and, and difference in in the haves and have nots. And with no relegation, I just think. Um, it's 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 difficult to really have consistent games that mean something. Hmm. What one last question on this so Murray before we move on to the semi-final previews and it's a question from the 42 members WhatsApp group from Robin Dempsey and a pertinent one as well. Uh on a related note, does a 24 team European competition open the way for South African clubs to be included down the line? Interesting question I think and also plays into the competitiveness of the Pro 14 or whatever it becomes because if the South African clubs were eligible for European qualification it would certainly spruce things up in say mid-table in both of the conferences or however it's formatted going forward. Yeah it's a a very pertinent question because obviously Dragons are in as a tier 4 team for Champions Cup next season. Cheetahs finished above them in in their Conference A um, but they're obviously not eligible at the moment. So Dragons go in, even though you look across the conference B, and I know Cardiff Blues and Benetton will be frustrated. They ended up with more wins and more points post that round 13. They'll feel they're better teams, really. But um, fair play to Dragons. They, they're improving and, and are building their squad. So hopefully things go well for them. It is definitely a, a big factor to consider in this, and particularly because we've mentioned Springboks potentially aligning more to um, the rugby up in this part of the world, potentially being in, involved in that eight nations competition which still itself isn't confirmed and certainly no South African participation but if there is going to be a changing of, of that uh, traditionally obviously South Africa in the rugby championship but if they're going to become more involved in European rugby it would certainly make sense for their club sides to be involved in European competition but again there's more changes so um, just at the moment just with everything there's there's la- a lack of clarity and, and I suppose that's part and parcel of how we are. We don't even know if South African teams are going to be able to travel up here um, or when they'll be able to travel up here. So we've got to kind of stand by it. But it would certainly make sense for teams to be competing in a competition that allows them to qualify into what should be the top tier competition in Europe. You know what I mean? You, you, you want some reward as well as trying to win the competition. You want some reward beyond that. And if everyone else is competing for that, again, Bernard mentioned competitiveness, well, then it's only fair that... Um, they can advance onto that level. So it would certainly make sense. But again, more upheaval. Yeah, it could be a massive shot in the arm for European competition as well. I'm sure it would turn a couple of French and English heads to have a, a shot at some of these South African guys. So let's look ahead to the last four. 
of this great great competition uh but this is i mean for all of the criticism we have uh dished out about the well about pro rugby um this is where it gets so good and like i could not be looking forward to these games more we start with leinster munster and like it's difficult to read too much into what leinster did last week um in light of, or rather in relation to this game because there kind of is no correlation i think they've made 12 changes murray uh the big calls in leo cullen's selection probably will connor starting albeit a lot of leinster fans will find that justified he was absolutely superb against ulster you would a piece as well with the gazillion gifts during the week that i was making my way through before uh picking up the the mic here and hugo keenan starting on the right wing i believe um big opportunity for both of them particularly keenan i think but were there any other kind of like surprise calls in the team or was that just about how you thought they'd line out? Yeah, this was kind of uh, kind of flagged during the week that Lencer were going to go this way. Um, it's still, they are big, big calls, I suppose. They're two 24-year-old guys. These are, these are going to be the biggest starts of their career, certainly so far. They've only um, been involved in Pro 14 action, albeit very consistently over the course of the season. When I look at the team sheet, I really like those decisions from Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster they're rewarding two guys who don't have the profile maybe of of other players in the squad um, or the reputation but they have been really good their their form uh, has demanded that selection in the end obviously the temptation in the back three was to bring in Rob Carney and, and it certainly would have made sense his aerial skills against an area Munster's box kicking was was so good two weekends ago they won back four of, of Conor Murray's eight contestable box kicks and Jordan Larmer didn't have a good day underneath them um, but they've backed him. He's obviously a very young fullback. They've backed him over the last season as their number one fullback, and, and they're sticking with that. They're not going to just jettison him after one game. And Keenan has, has earned his shot. He's largely played at fullback um, most of his senior rugby, but he's history on the wing, wing with Ireland under 20s, etc. He started there last weekend against Ulster, and he's a. He's an energetic, dependable player. He's good in the backfield, uh, makes good decisions, an un- unfussy kind of error-free player. So I think that's a, a, a brave selection. Connors, again, as you mentioned, his defence last weekend against Ulster, once again, like, I mean, he's, is he the best defender in Irish rugby? He's superb tackler, 19 tackles, only missed one. And over the course of the season, he has, he's on a 94% tackle success. He's not a big, powerful ball carrier, Um He's just over 100 kg and he, and he doesn't make big meters, but he has some nice skills and, and he clears out rocks and he works around the pitch in attack and, and he'll hope to improve that side of his game as well as his line at work. Obviously, Josh van der Fleer is the one to miss out, an Ireland international established, another guy who's been excellent in, in this season, um, but he'll bring energy off the bench. But they are brave calls. The other one, I suppose, Dev Toner back in for Ryan Baird in the second row. Uh, Baird showed his potential he's only 21 in the first monster game but the line out didn't go well and, and toner obviously has great nous and experience in that area so he'll call that his calmness is quite infectious um and but but other, otherwise largely what you would have expected from from leinster porter still there tied out because furlong still not back from that back injury and they've just signed uh kieran parker who was at munster very recently moved to jersey just this summer but he's back over to leinster now on loan which would be slightly worrying potentially with, with furlong still sidelined um but it's a look it's a very strong leinster team there's loads to like about it there really is can i just say put some respect on paul boyle's name he's the best tackler in irish rugby statistically at the moment 98.3 percent in the uh, pro 14 you, you learn an awful lot in the yeah. 42 members WhatsApp group, I'll tell you that much. Members.the42.e. Uh, Bernard, your, <laughs> your interpretation of Leinster's team, um, is, is it roughly what you 
expected. Yeah, I probably right. expected Barrett Bear to start, um, and maybe even alongside Devon. I, I'm not surprised Devon um, gets the nod. Mm. I think he just gives them more security around uh, around their set piece. And um, you know, as Murray mentioned, Munster did get after um, get after the throw particularly early. I just thought Leinster. It was just sloppiness, really. Um, you know, it was first game back, and and they just got a, their calls and and composure a little, was was a little bit off. But I think the set piece will be will be rock solid this week. Um, Bears a lovely option to come on, and and Fardy's Fardy's very smart. He you know he he, he um, he's a very very good player. Uh, he seems to manage referees uh, pretty well, and yeah, I just think they probably. You know, want his experience in there, and obviously, he's, he's a good lineup option as well. Um, you know, Conan and Doris, no surprise really. Um, it was, you know, Will Connors. I think it's probably rotation, and and um, it's just given Will Connors uh, the reward he deserves, given how good he was coming off the bench against Munster. You know, Leinster were down to fourteen players. Uh, Munster had momentum, and he was just, you know. So impactful off the bench, defense defensively, and obviously he was very good last weekend. Um, it's a very strong team. I mean, I was worried about Leinster a little bit, trying to trying to find reasons why Munster could win. I suppose this week, and uh, um, you know, once I just saw that team there, it's it's incredibly strong, and and you know, it's it's stronger than 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 Munster in a lot of areas, to be honest. Uh, um, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's a first choice side, obviously, but we saw the depth they had last week. It's it's phenomenal. A uh, question here from Shane in the members WhatsApp group for you, Bernard. Um, and it's in relation to Leinster playing Caelan Doris at six. And Shane is wondering, is it just to give a, a little bit more, more carrying and speed in the back row? And could it uh, be a nod as well towards that quarterfinal with Saris? But Shane also asks, what parts of Doris's game suit slash don't suit blindside? Um, to be honest, I think he doesn't have any that doesn't suit it. I think uh, he's a he's a really good player. He's really physical, um, and I think it suits him perfectly. And um, just watching watching Ulster last week, uh, um, and you know what they would give for a six like like Caelan Doris, even though he hasn't proven himself in um, over a long period of time as a six. I think he's the the prototype for 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 what you need, um, and you know he's he's able to carry. Um, incredibly well, but he's a he's a very good lineup option. Um, he, he's very good defensively, and it gives Jack Conan probably the space and, and time to do what he does well, which is uh, particularly well, which is is carry. So it gives you two dominant carriers in your in your pack in your back row, but also gives you an excellent lineup option. And um, I think it's a nice balance. You know, whether it's Will Connors or Josh Van der Fleer or obviously Levy when he gets back will would be kind of a mixture of, of both. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the perfect mix, I think, the way the game is going. Um, and, yeah, I, I think he's got all the attributes to be very good there. Looking at Munster, then, Murray, uh, three changes for Johan van Graan. Probably the biggest surprise was Finneen Wishley not starting. I thought he was excellent against Connacht. I think a lot of Munster fans would be surprised to see that one. Were you surprised? Yeah, it was. Um, again, I'd heard this during the week and potentially that there was an injury there, but Witcherly's named on the bench in the end and, and Munster didn't mention anything in that regard. So you've got to read it as a, a selection decision. I thought Witcherly worked really well with Tyg Byrne. He's obviously a younger guy at 22, but I think their skills complemented each other very well. Byrne's well able to call a line out. He's worked hard on that in the last couple of years with Munster since coming back from Scarlet's. Billy Holland returns to the side 
presumably to lead that area of the game. He does bring that calmness, that leadership, um, maybe a little bit similarly to Devon Toner. He's not going to be dynamic around the pitch compared to some of the younger, um, more explosive forwards. It, the ball carrying wouldn't be a strength of his, certainly, but they do rate what he brings in, I suppose, with his mental skills and, and with his line out work and um, that leadership. Uh, to be honest, I'm surprised. I thought Witchley and, and Byrne worked really well together. Jack O'Donoghue doesn't surprise me at all coming back in at open side. I know Clute's gone as a potential jackal threat, but with Byrne o- O'Mahony, with standard air, you've got plenty of it. Dialende, there's so many different guys who can jackal. O'Donoghue won a turnover himself coming off the bench against Connacht when he looked really dynamic. He was very unlucky the first week because he got a concussion in training. Uh, was due to start um, and by all accounts is in fantastic nick in, in training. He brings a lot of line out and mall strength and, and you're just adding to an area that is already strong for Munster he's brilliant at turning over malls he's very similar to Omani really um, in that in that department he can get off the ground very well so they are just going to relentlessly attack that line out area and, and they have all those jackals as well um, the third change being Archer in for John Ryan it's just been tit for tat really in that position hasn't it I, I actually expected John Ryan to start I think he's he's looked a bit more dynamic but um, there's probably a sense there that Munster like using that off the bench as well um, but they really are neck and neck in terms of that selection so yeah there's there's a continuity there in the back line obviously completely unchanged and that's good because those guys have gelled together over the last couple of weekends we've seen those promising signs with their attacking game and as Bernard said like you're looking for areas where Munster can go at Leinster and and they are quite clear Conor Murray's kicking I think you'll probably see a bit more kicking even off off Hanrahan potentially and um, because Leinster's defense they're, they're so good at keeping defenders on feet last weekend against Ulster they 71 percent of the time they had either 14 or 15 players on their feet ready to defend which is incredibly impressive they don't jackal as hard or, or go after the ball as hard as Munster do um yeah sort of the aerial the line out the jackling Munster are just going to look to disrupt and and while on paper yeah definitely the Leinster team is stronger and and their form over the course of the season is much more impressive Munster will feel they have those bits to to disrupt and then they'll hope that their attack, which has been a work in progress um, and scored three tries against Leinster last time, albeit two when, when Leinster were down to 14, it, it can continue to progress and, and strike a few key blows as well. Bernard, I just wanted to ask you about the Holland selection over Witcherly. And listen, I've all the respect in the world for Billy Holland, Ireland international, absolutely super guy, clearly a leader and, and hugely respected within that squad. Uh, I suppose everybody knows there's a butt coming but I wonder is this kind of representative of a trap that Munster fall into sometimes or at least have been guilty of falling into over the years where like the mental skills to which Murray alludes and, and kind of personality maybe play too big a role in selection like if you make the case for Leinster having a, a stronger team in various areas of the pitch than Munster which they do surely you need as much dynamism as as you can and therefore literally if he is fit to play should be in there from the start like uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't be second guessing a, a professional coach in fairness but it, it, it just feels as though Holland just won't give you as much around the park and I don't know if you can afford to have that type of a player in a semi-final against the Leinster team that'll be coming out all guns yeah, blazing I, I think I think maybe there's two there's two things I think could have happened I think uh, Finney might have picked up a knock last weekend and hasn't been able to train all week and you know there's obviously a risk that's or there's there's a chance that tomorrow afternoon there's a lay withdrawal and Finney Witcherly isn't on the bench and um he was never fit at all which obviously takes the decision out of Johan's uh, mind uh, or out of his hands or that Munster have decided to go for a massive set piece 
um, you know, contestable kicking uh, type game plan and getting as close as possible to 100% of their own ball um, is a key part of that. And, um, and a lot of South African coaches, are, you know, they place huge, huge weight on, on set piece and guaranteed line out. And uh, uh, while, you know, Murray mentioned Ty Byrne can call the line out, um, I think that, you know, Billy's is the best line of caller in Munster and, and, and has been since, um, since probably Paul and, and Mikko um, stepped away. And, and I think that's, that's definitely a weight that Johan and has, has put on, uh, put on Billy every time they pick a team. And, um, it may be just that that's, that's how they feel they can beat Munster. I don't, Alenster, I don't think they can out, their attack is still a, a work in progress. Um, so I don't see them being able to outsmart um, Leinster, and even the, you know they got some great tries in the second half. But you know, looking back on it during the week, you know, for Earls' try, you know, Luke McGrath and and James Gibson Park were I think Luke was on the wing at the time, and, and Leinster were down a man. So I just think Leinster will have improved on that for the first try. Leinster got caught unbelievably narrow. That was a typical you know early season game uh, thing. So I think Munster will have to work a lot harder to get their scores. Um, this week, and I think it'll come down to um, being in the in the Leinster half and kicking goals if they're going to win. And part of being able to let them uh, give them that opportunity to play there will be uh, Billy Holland's ability to to call the right options in the, in the lineout. So I think when Leinster, we looked at Leinster's second rows, you know they're able to, I suppose, sacrifice athleticism and power and pick Devon and Fardy. Um, and leave Ryan Baird on the bench because they have power in Healy, Kelleher, Porter, Doris, Conan. The challenge for Munster is, you know, that front row of, of, Lock, uh, of Lockman, uh, Scannell, Archer um, doesn't really have the same power in it. And then Billy, isn't that's not his profile either. Um, and it's probably not Peter's profile um, as much either. So you're just... You, you know, you're 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 sacrificing an important area of the game that, uh, uh, particularly as it stands at the moment, is that athleticism, and it may cost them um, in that area. Just not because of Billy, um, it's just because of the profile of their of their pack as a whole. Just to echo that, I think it's a great point by Bernard about that monster game plan, and maybe hints to it because, like it is semi final rugby, and and usually it gets a bit more tense at this stage, and things tighten up, and and the games are generally um, decided on things like set-piece and even penalty count. And, and Munster have been talking about this all week. You look back to the last two semi-finals in this comp, last year it was Munster conceded 13 penalties to Leinster 7. The year before that, Munster conceded 12 to Leinster 7. And that's a that's a big difference. And, and those things really matter in semi-finals where, where three points can, can be absolutely crucial. So I think they will very much focus on that. I think Burns bang on the, the set-piece, the kicking game. Obviously, they'll hope that if there are opportunities there. And they've missed a couple of them over the last few weeks in terms of their decision-making. Um, but they'll hope to take those. But probably primarily focusing on having a good penalty count, having a good set-piece, getting on the right side of, of Andrew Brace and, and making those better decisions around the breakdown, not chasing every single rock and, and leaving themselves down numbers in defeat, but but picking their battles. Yeah, can I just say there's no shame in that? Like, uh, reality yeah, is yeah. Van Graan, Roundtree and... Um, and, and um, Larkham, their job is to is to try and design a game plan to win over eighty minutes. So they don't have to be better teams than Leinster. Who cares where their attack, how their attack looks? Um, effectively, this is not that rugby. This is what 
the monster were built on um, of of making it unbelievably tight and make and and testing Leinster's resolve and um, and playing the referee and everything. Like that. And it's not a negative at all. It's just, mm. And it's actual fact. The problem is too many teams go out to try and play Leinster at their own game or or just copy and paste what they're trying to build, and it plays into Leinster's hands because there's no team who have the the cohesion they have and the consistency of of uh, I suppose players coming through their pathway. They know they all know what they want to do, and you know they're evolving themselves and they're trying to find a game that focuses or attacks opposition weaknesses a little bit more. You know, and with a, with a bigger emphasis on attacking kicks. But for Munster, it's literally you know what they've learned from two weeks ago. You know, and what they think they have in their in their arsenal um, in terms of personnel to implement. You know the perfect game plan to to catch Leinster on the hop, and uh, it's 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 an incredible level of consistency Leinster have, um, and I, I know that some weeks they can play at seventy percent and and still win, but realistically, you know they are going to lose at some stage, um, and you know for Munster this is they, they have a break after this. Um, I think Munster will have benefited from the run out against Connacht. I know it's only a five day turnaround, but I think for them to have two games under their belts. Um, would be an advantage for them, and yeah, I would expect Munster to, to put it up. It's fascinating to see how how they how they do try and um, win it, but uh, and I think that Scan- our Holland's selection is a little bit of a clue. Mm, interesting, and uh, I probably should have qualified that question by Holland as well about Holland as well. Just it was asked really in in within the context overall um, of their pack rather than try, trying to single the poor guy out like super player as I said. Um, I'll get your predictions on that one lads in a couple of minutes just before we wrap obviously we have to talk about Ulster's game as well we don't have the teams because we're recording on a Thursday so we can keep it a little bit shorter but still uh, just so much to discuss in this one thought it was interesting Murray during the week to look at Richard Cockrell and Dan McFarlane kind of doing the Kerry man on it both of them (laughs) yarring away (laughs) uh, and dismissing their side's chances uh, of winning this one and interesting piece as well uh, by Adam McKendry which we had on the 42 where he he kind of contextualized it quite well in the sense that Ulster for all of their progress this year find themselves in the exact same place as they were last season and if it if they were to lose against Edinburgh and and in France in the Champions Cup you know that the idea of the progress that they've made might be somewhat dismissed or, or tarnished because on paper kind of tangibly it won't be there so there there is a lot on the line in this one even though they are going in as slight underdogs Absolutely, and, and yeah, like obviously the result takes care of itself. The key thing for Ulster is actually delivering in this semi-final. Think back to last season, and they just didn't turn up in Glasgow. Uh, they got hockey. It was a really dispiriting end to things, um, and they just didn't represent the the progress that they'd shown over the course of that campaign. They haven't done so in the in the last two weekends either. That's the worrying thing, and we've discussed that the maybe Bernard's worries about where they were after the the preseason um have kind of held true but this is the the moment to show your resilience and they're missing key guys again Ian Henderson the captain he's not there Will Addison has been struggling with the back issue Robert Balakoon ripped his hamstring off the bone and and he was looking really good probably would have been a starter it would be a surprise if Stockdale McCluskey and, and Jordy Murphy don't pull through their injury doubts I, I guess for the weekend because it is such a big game but it is a big test of their resilience can 
McCloskey and Kutsia, can they get flowing into that um, gain line dominance that helps Ulster be so impressive when they get into their attacking flow? Can Billy Burns be a little bit flatter because they've been far too deep over the last couple of weeks just playing away from the gain line? Um, can they be solid defensively? Can they keep up a good disciplinary record that has them as the best in the Pro 14 at the moment? So that, there's a lot of questions there and it's very hard to, to know what, what Ulster will produce because... The, the last time in the in the Pro 14 semi-finals they, they didn't sh- show up albeit in the Champions Cup quarterfinals against Leinster you think back to that incredibly good good game when they should have probably won um, and that's what they can deliver so so there's the benchmark in terms of performance levels obviously take your chances when, when they're available the issue is they're coming up against you mentioned Richard Cocker there I, lo- I loved getting on his press conference and he hasn't changed a bit he's still that colourful uh, upfront character um, and he had a nice burn of Fraser Brown actually where he uh, responded to some criticism of, of their scrum by saying Fraser Brown's on holidays I don't care what he says um, which I thought was, was brilliant but they've improved over the last three years under his stewardship they've got a really good defence I think they've conceded the fewest tries of anyone fewest line breaks of anyone in the Pro 14 um, and obviously the work rate and and the, the grit you'd associate with any Cockrell team has been layered upon with those elements of of counter-attacking class you're seeing guys like Duane van der Merwe Blair Kinghorn Darcy Graham in the back three they can add real game-breaking abilities Bill Matta is obviously a real weapon from number eight and Mark Bennett in the centre they've got a squad full of international players and and he underlined again listen we're not here to entertain this weekend if there's chances there uh, we'll, we'll take them but they've learned huge lessons themselves from they played Munster in the quarterfinal of of last season's Champions Cup and, and you remember that Pierre Schumann moment where he blocks Tygburn Tygburn goes to ground and it's just that turning point where they give up a winning position they definitely feel they should have won that game so I think it's a really interesting uh, battle between two sides who are looking to take that next step um, but just in terms of Ulster I find it hard to, to know what they're going to deliver on um, particularly after the last two weeks where they haven't been impressive Bernard from the coaching point of view what's Dan's plan here like when you have a team that did actually kind of choke really in a way in their last semi-final in this competition and you're going back to Scotland and in a kind of a similar type of um, situation albeit without fans and so on but you also have that quarterfinal against Leinster to which Murray alluded there to draw from uh, as kind of evidence that you actually can perform in a knockout game so just forget about Glasgow like do you have to specifically get a message across in relation to that semi-final last year and, and the parallels between them or can you just absolutely put that in the rearview mirror and focus on this game in isolation, if you know what I mean. Yeah, look, I think that Dan would have been really, I suppose, not happy, not happy, but confident that they had, you know, turned a corner during the the normal season. So like, they were probably one of the form teams um, before lockdown, and uh, I was really impressed with how they were building. Um, and it's all, it's all up in the air now. There's massive doubts around where they're where they're at. And you know, he doubled down. He went. Uh, with a strong team again to play a you know a second string on paper Leinster side, but we know that's very strong um, at the weekend. And I didn't think there was a huge improvement, you know, um, in in the performance level. So um, that's going to be really worrying for him. And and I know they had an issue during the week of you know not being able to train very much and a COVID scare and and things like that. But real realistically, I think Leinster showed if you stop McCluskey and and Kutsia, um, there's not a huge amount else there, and um, I think it's difficult. It's been difficult for uh, for their halfbacks because their pack are uh, are not 
well drilled at the sorry they are they're, I'm sure they're well drilled but they're not performing like a well drilled pack at the moment um you know their set piece particularly their line out delivery is is really sloppy they're, they're not giving them any go forward off off mall um you know their carries Barcutia are are pretty limp and um yeah I I think he's going to be really worried and he couldn't back them this weekend going to Edinburgh I know uh, I thought Edinburgh looked good in the first round, the first derby against against Glasgow. Uh, I know Cocker made some changes last weekend, and 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 they suffered. But um, I think that they are probably the most predictable team in the competition um, in terms of knowing what they do in every area of the field and and backing themselves to uh, to grind out wins. And you know, he's done an unbelievable job of. Of recruiting really good foreign players as well, and then obviously he had a squad full of internationals, and he's he's changed the mindset there, and they're no soft touch anymore. And I, I remember speaking to him, you know, just after he at the first Pro 14 launch uh, after he joined Edinburgh, and he he told me about you know that first day, and he he got the players to feedback around what they thought other teams taught of them, and he said, you know. They were delusioned, you know. Um, effectively, he showed them the results over the previous three or four years, and um, they didn't back up the high high opinion they had of themselves. And he said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna get respect, and, and we're gonna start, and we're gonna work hard, and, and um, we're gonna become hard to beat." And and they have they have become really hard to beat. And um, you know, he's he's got them in a good place. And unfortunately for Dan, you know, Dan would love another game. He'd love one more match. To to show a little bit of of a spark um, and to go there with a little bit of confidence, but I, I do think their confidence is definitely going to be going to be shot. And um, it wasn't like the Leinster semi quarter final where they came into the Viva complete underdogs. In fairness, they had a good game plan. Um, they enacted it. You know, could have won the game. Stockdale puts that ball down and, and and potentially they win it. But it's not like that this week. They're still okay. They're slight underdogs, but. They really should expect to beat Edinburgh. You know, if Ulster are the team that they thought they were, um, they're good enough to go away from home and, and win um, in a in a semi final. And you know, their away form is is really poor. You know, Dan talks about championship teams and championship teams are consistent. Um, uh, championship teams give no, you know, give nothing give nothing away easy, no matter where you are. If you look at their away form, I think they've only won thirty percent of their away games. So, I think there's issues there, and I think. If they don't fire this weekend um, and lose, uh, I think it's going to be very hard to see them and for Dan to pick it up in time to go to, to lose and win. So it, it's it's a nightmare scenario, and and uh, it's you know look at I'm not saying they can't win for sure they can, but um, on form you couldn't pick them. Hmm. Murray, do you share Bernard's pessimism for Ulster this weekend? Getting into predictions time. Yeah, I mean I usually base these things on on what that form has been like, and I don't think it's been strong enough. Um, and I, I think there's enough qualities, those qualities I mentioned in that Edinburgh squad, particularly in the semi-final, to, to edge them over the line. So, yeah, I'm definitely leaning towards that home win for the favourites, despite Richard Cockrell's <laughs> protestations. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, two underdogs in that one, but one will prevail, we know for sure. So you're both going home wins in Edinburgh, Ulster. Are you both going home wins in Leinster, Munster? Starting with yourself, Birch, I think you are. Yeah, I am. I tr- honestly, I, I genuinely was starting to think that maybe Munster could pull off a shock and I, I and I picked out some clips around you know you know contestable kicks and um and breakdown uh breakdown prowess but when I just I have two teams in front of me here on a on a keynote page and I just can't see even the Leinster bench I mean 
you know, bringing on Baird, bringing on Van der Fleer. I thought Gibson Park last week looked so sharp. Um, you know, you've got Ross Byrne um, and I had to come on as well. Cronin, I just, you know, I, I just don't, I can't see Leinster. And given given how well they seem to deal with pressure of of, of being favourites and, uh, and the consistency they can bring, um, I think they'll, and also they're, they're also, they're aware of how close it was last time, which is only two weeks ago. And um, they'd be disappointed that it was that close. So I have to fancy Leinster. Murray, we've got to let you go on a Leinster conference call so you can keep yours short and sweet. Leinster, Munster? Yeah, I'm echoing Bernard's thoughts there. Leinster for me. What do you think of Gav? What are your predictions? <sighs> Home wins all round, I'm afraid. Only two only two away wins in the history of this competition at the semi-final stage. And I think f- that will continue, sadly. Well, sadly from a Munster perspective and uh, an Ulster perspective as well. Come here, lads. Thanks a million. Much appreciated as always. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. And thank you to everybody at home for listening as well. Thanks a million to all of the 42 members who sent in questions. Naturally enough, I didn't get around to all of them. There's a really good one there uh, from Aina Hagerty, who's Paul, Paul Doyle stat I stole as well. So hopefully I'll get around to that one next week. Uh, Members.the42.e if you want to join everybody in the WhatsApp group and subscribe to all of the amazing podcasts that our colleagues are doing uh until monday's members podcast with murray and on Tulin, we will catch you then that doesn't even make sense until monday's <laughs> members podcast with murray and on Tulin, mind yourselves and if you're not yet a member we'll be back next thursday till then take it easy i don't think we've met before but i'm the referee on this field if you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and he's 